Well, uh, you might like to take out your Bibles at this point. We're going to be heading, of course, to Romans chapter 12, continuing our series this morning. As you turn there, I'm going to pray. So, Father, thank you for this time in the service that we have to open up your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would come alive in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that you would help us, Lord, to, to not just be hearers only of your word, but to be doers of your word, to put your word into practice in our lives, Lord God. For we know that as we do that, our lives have, a, have substance, have foundation to them. We're like the, the one who builds the house upon the rock. So, Lord, may we be like those kind of people who build our lives upon the firm foundation, foundation, the foundation of your word, who you are, Lord Jesus. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and uh, help me, Lord, to proclaim the word with clarity, with boldness. I ask, Lord, that you would just move in this place upon hearts that anything uh, seeking to hinder the proclamation of your word or our ability to hear it, Lord, would just be, be silenced and stilled now in Jesus' name. And uh, let there be a touch of your spirit upon these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, I wonder, have you ever met a truly diehard sports follower? More, not just a sports follower, but a diehard supporter of a particular team, whether it's a football team, maybe you're married to one, I won't ask for a show of hands, maybe you grew up with one, maybe you work with that person who every Monday morning as you're grabbing your morning coffee, it's like all they talk about is the footy on the weekend and how their team went and all the stats and all that the team, their favourite players did. You know, these kind of peoples, these real diehard, true supporters and followers of sporting teams, you know, they have the bumper stickers on the car, you know, you drive behind the car and there's like five or six membership stickers of the sporting club. You know, they have kind of the merch, whether it's the clothing, whether it's the coffee mug on the desk at work, whether it's the phone case, maybe the Bible cover, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit sacrilegious, I don't know. They... You know that they've been to the game on the weekend because they come in during the week and their voices are a little bit hoarse because they've been yelling and shouting passionately support of their team. Now, I've experienced my fair share of these kinds of true followers over the years. And something that I've noticed, there are three things that I've noticed about these true followers, these passionate followers of sporting teams. First of all, you're left in no doubt as to who they follow. It's clear. It's evident. And it's not just when times are good, but it's through the, the good and bad, the thick and thin. Something else I've noticed is that everything about their lives, the conversation, the, the clothes they wear, the merch that they possess, the bumper stickers, they point you towards something, the team that they support. Something else I've noticed is that they're committed to the mission. They're committed to the mission of the ongoing success of their particular sporting team the one they support. And over the last uh, month or so, we've seen a fascinating phenomenon sweep across our country, haven't we? We could call it Matilda mania. If you're not uh, familiar with that, Matildas, of course, are the Australian women's soccer or football team who have done particularly well 
at the FIFA World Cup. But Andrew and I were talking about this during the week, how it's, it's fascinating that all of a sudden everyone is a Matilda supporter. Everyone's jumped on board. Everyone's been a follower of the team and their success. And look, it's wonderful for women's sport. It's a great boost for the game in general. It's wonderful to see the nation get on board and support this particular sporting team. I mean, we've had prime ministers mentioning public holidays. We've had record crowds. We've had record TV audiences. There's just something about it that people have jumped on board as followers, as converts to be Matilda's fans. And it's, it's great to see, but it's, it's also easy to do when it's popular or when it's convenient or when it suits us to do so, when conditions are favorable. But I would put to you this morning that perhaps that's not necessarily being a true follower, a true follower, a diehard follower of the Matilda soccer team, because a true follower is in it for the long haul, not just the highs of a home World Cup. But they keep following through the highs and lows when there's 75 watching, not just 75,000 watching. All that to say that we can draw parallels to our lives of faith, can't we? Are we true followers of Jesus? Are others left in no doubt as to what we're all about? Is it evident and clear in our lives? Is everything about our lives pointing towards something? Are we staying true to the mission? Are we the kind of Jesus followers who continue to follow and stand firm and stay steadfast through the highs and through the lows? Just like there is something different about a genuine diehard sports supporter who follows their team through thick and thin than one who just jumps on the bandwagon for a fleeting high when it suits us to do so. So too a genuine follower of Jesus one who has truly grasped the mercies of God that Paul has talked about already earlier in this chapter, will have something different about them. This is part of what the Apostle Paul was getting at in our passage for today as he begins to really hone in on the practical outworking of our faith, what it looks like to be a true follower of Jesus. Let's read together from Romans 12. I might just start in verse 2. And then we'll jump down to verse 9. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And this, this here is actually one of my favorite passages in Romans. Now, there are many wonderful passages all through Romans, aren't there? There's so many that we could kind of look at. But I love this passage because I'm a literal kind of guy, and it kind of just lays it out right in front of you pretty clearly. This is what it looks like. In many ways, it preaches itself this morning. But in some ways, it's actually hard to preach on it because there's so many great things, so many uh, aspects that we could delve into and look at pretty much in each and every verse there. So this morning, if we've heard the word as we have, and then if we take the word and take it to heart, and if we actually put it into practice, these things that Paul has written about and exhorted us in, I want to suggest that our church, our lives, our families, our homes, our workplaces would truly be a better place. So here ends the sermon. Thanks for coming. Bless you this week. Not quite. Some of you are getting a bit excited there. Well, we've spent a few weeks on this wonderful chapter in Romans, and it's really a critical point in the book of Romans, where everything before has Paul's been laying out this theology, the mercies of God, we could summarize it as. This is what it looks like. And then he kind of changes tact a little bit here, and he begins to look at, okay, what's the right response to the mercies of God? Well, really, it's worship. That's our right and our reasonable and the only uh, proper response to the mercies of God. And then last week, we looked at uh, this aspect of the gifts, the, the spiritual gifts that the Lord pours out by his Spirit amongst us, and that... We must remember, it's not just relying on structures or programs or our own natural gifts, but remembering the most important tool of all, God's power at work in us and through us. And so here Paul carries on with the practical outworking of our faith. And we could say that he carries on with a call for the kind of behavior, the kind of living that is produced by a renewed mind but also comes from a life surrendered to the Lord as an offering of worship unto him, and that is indeed the proper and right response to the mercies of God. So when he says in verse 2, be transformed, do not be conformed, but be transformed, he's actually already touched on what being conformed to the likeness of this world looks like. If we cast our minds back to Romans chapter 1, Paul is unpacking the unrighteousness that is going on in the world. And he, he, dealt, he brings out a whole lot of things, not honoring the Lord as God, claiming to be wise, exchanging the glory of God for idols, the lust of the heart towards impurity, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, being given over to dishonorable passions, a debased mind, envy, strife, covetousness, slandering, gossiping, being boastful, dishonoring parents, foolishness, faithlessness, the list goes on. And I would suggest that, that he's laid out already earlier in the Romans a pretty good picture of what it looks like to be conformed to the likeness of this world. If it looks like the world, if it sounds like the world, if it's just like the world, well, chances are it probably is. But as for being transformed, what are we being transformed into? Ultimately, 
It's to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And if we look at the passage that we've just read, I can't help but look and see that this is what Jesus modeled. This has Jesus' fingerprints and life all over it. This is how he lived with a sense of genuine love, a boring evil, having a zeal and passion for God's house and God's name, honoring those who were you know, outcasts. He lived with humility. He blessed those who persecuted him. He overcame evil with good through the cross. That's our model and our standard, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul getting at here? And really, there are so many good things that we could take away from this passage. So many good things in here, but it can also be easy to gloss over them or miss them. So I want to focus on two things in particular, the the, the bookend statements, if you like, that Paul makes here. And there's a few things about those that I want to bring out this morning to hopefully challenge us, encourage us as we seek to live our lives as true followers of Jesus in a world that's seeking to conform us into its likeness. So with that in mind, first thing I want to encourage us in this morning is that truly following Jesus looks like something. It looks like something. Just like for that diehard sports supporter, it's noticeable, it's evident, it oozes out of them. You're left in no doubt as to what they're about and what they're passionate about and what they are pursuing. How much more for us as followers of Jesus. I love how this passage is titled. In my Bible anyway, it says the subheading is the marks of the true Christian. The marks of the true Christian. This is what it looks like, guys, Paul is saying. You know, if I were to hold up some money, some kids' play money that I brought from my home, and I asked, is this real? Now, maybe from the far, maybe from the back of the auditorium, you might look at it and go, oh, kind of looks a little bit like the right color. Kind of looks a little bit like it's got the right elements to it. You can see the 20 on it and things like that. Kind of looks like a $20 note. But what's, what's actually missing? Maybe if you came close, you'd see it's missing some of the markers. Those genuine markers, you know, the watermark that you hold up to the light and you can see it. You'd realize very quickly up close that it's far from true or genuine. Following Jesus looks like something. God's people have always called to be set apart and different. So we've looked at in a series recently, so I won't delve too much into it. But sometimes it's good to be reminded of these things, that we're called to be salt and light, and increasingly so in our modern secular culture. Because this work of salvation, this work of the cross, as that is appropriated in our lives, it must have a profound effect on us. It's indeed a transformative work. Now, this kind of exhortation, I know, can cause mixed reactions. Maybe some of you here this morning, you're pushing back a little bit, like, oh, hang on, hang on a minute, Adam. You're saying, I've got to change this way that I live, I've got to change this pattern of sin in my life, perhaps, or... What are you saying? Don't judge me. It's about the heart. And yes, absolutely. It is a heart thing. It's an inward transformation. It's the work of the Spirit. But it's also the Lord working in us from the inside out so that there is actually a flow-on effect to the way that we live. 
Let me just frame it this way, perhaps. This might be helpful. There's a saying, perhaps you've heard it, and it's the first part of it. It's two-pronged. It says, he loves us just as we are. Aren't you glad about that? He loves us just as we are. And so some hear that and say, see, I told you, he loves me just as I am. I don't need to change. I don't need to be transformed. It doesn't matter how I choose to live. Well, the second part of that saying is equally as good news, but maybe it's a little bit more uncomfortable to hear. It says, he loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. You know, it'd be like a, a taxi driver, an Uber driver, whatever your choice of getting around the city might be, coming and you've, you've called it, you've ordered the taxi, and they come to pick you up wherever you are at and just kind of sitting there, just idling there, saying, oh, I just love where you're at right now. I'm going to sit here. That would just be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? And it would not be the purpose that a taxi or an Uber driver has. It. The purpose is to come and take you from where you are at and to bring you to where you need to get to, to where you need to go. And in the same way, I'm not saying Jesus is like a taxi service, hear my heart in this this morning, but he came to seek and save. He came to pull us out of the darkness and into his glorious light. He came to lift us out of the pit of our own sin and our own shame. He came to bring us from that place and into his marvelous light, his glorious kingdom, a place of life and hope and freedom. So in view of God's mercies, as we offer our lives to him, as our right and our reasonable response, and as we continue to do that, and as his spirit and as his word continues to transform us, we move from this place and head towards the place that the Lord desires us to get to and move towards, which is more and more into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, something that is visible, something that is evident and clearly seen. We could think of it perhaps in legal terms, like a, a court case. You know that the lawyer will lay out the evidence, make claims before the judge. If we claim to follow Jesus, is there the evidence to prove that in our lives, to back it up? As it says in 1 John 2.6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him, to live in Christ, must walk or must live as Jesus did. If diehard sports followers leave you in no doubt as to what they're all about, as to what they're passionate about, how much more should we as followers of Jesus? In beginning to lay out these practicalities of faith, Paul is writing, friends, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God, because of the profound effect and impact that they have on our lives, a life lived in response to these mercies must look like something. And these are the marks of those who claim to be a follower of Jesus. Now, perhaps that's a new thought for you this morning. Perhaps you're visiting, you've not yet surrendered your life to follow Jesus. Perhaps you're tuning in online in that place. We're so glad that you're here. Perhaps this is old news. Yeah, I know following Jesus should look like something. What's the big deal? Well, what's the point or end goal? Why is it important? And I would suggest it's not just for us. It's certainly not to draw attention to us. But the second thing I want to encourage us in this morning is that truly following Jesus produces something in us and points to someone through us. Paul writes here in verse 9, Let love 
be genuine. Let love be genuine. That, he writes the word for genuine, it means without hypocrisy, without being fake. Let love be genuine. And it's hard to fake the kind of love that Paul is exhorting us to walk in here. This kind of love that Paul's talking about here. And if this is operating in our lives, it leads to something quite extraordinary, what I want to get to this morning. This genuine love that we're called to have affects how we live in here, inside the church, within the family of God's people. But it also affects and impacts our lives out there, in our workplaces, with our neighbours, with our schoolmates, with our social club members, whatever it might be. And it's interesting how Paul starts this section on the practical outworking of our faith with a call to genuine love. Genuine love should be what underpins and undergirds everything in our lives. Whether it's the operating of spiritual gifts, as we talked about last week, the way we relate to and deal with those around us. There are so many pictures of love in our modern world, and so many fall incredibly short of the picture of love that God has and calls and desires his people to live in and walk in. And unfortunately, this idea of love has been twisted in so many ways as well, both within and without, outside the church. But Paul writes, let love be genuine. And this word here for love is this word agape. Now, the English language doesn't quite do justice at times when it translates words that are obviously written in Greek or Hebrew with the Old Testament where there is such depth and richness to the meaning behind some of these words. The English language doesn't quite do justice at times. For example, I say I love my wife and my children. And I also say I love roast lamb for dinner. I love sports. Now, of course, we know that that, that same word, that word love, you know, whilst lamb and sports are good things, the level of love for I love my wife and my kids is, of course, so much greater and different, but it's the same word, right? It's confusing. But the Greek word here used gives us some more insight. And this particular word carries with it particular connotations or meanings behind it. It's a self-giving love is what it means. It's a love that's not necessarily attracted to the object of love. It's a choice or an act of the will. It's not just a feeling or an emotion but denotes a sense of undefeatable kindness and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person. It's a self-giving love. That's what it entails. That gives freely. Or another way to put it is wanting God's best for the other person, irrespective of whether we feel they deserve it or irrespective of the cost. This is the kind of love that God has given to us. He doesn't just love us because we were attractive or lovable. He doesn't just love us because we had it all together. The Bible says, you know, while you were still sinners, while we were the enemies, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that God has given to us, and this is the kind of love that we are called to love those around us with, that we're called to live and express and to do so 
genuinely. And the challenge in hearing that is, is, yes, that's great, that's a good thing, but when the rubber hits the road, that's when the challenge comes. When that person rubs us up the wrong way. When that person cuts us off in traffic, perhaps. When that brother or sister in Christ says something that offends us. When, that, when your spouse, you could probably fill in the blank there, leaves the toilet seat up, whatever, doesn't put the dishes away. What is that genuine love, that call to genuine love, going to be operating in those moments? Not just as a great principle or idea, but when the rubber hits the road. The challenging aspect as well is that we're called to live out this genuine love in community, not just in isolation. I don't know about you, but it's easy to be loving, isn't it? When there's no one else around to love. The challenge is to do so in the context of community. So Paul starts here, let love be genuine, and then he unpacks what love looks like, what that genuine love looks like. Abhorring evil, loving good, honoring one another, caring for each other with brotherly affection, being passionate and enthusiastic in serving the Lord, seeking to contribute to others' needs, blessing those instead of cursing. Now, this is indeed a challenge. Not one of us would get this right. But this is the aim and the call and the invitation, the picture and one of the marks of a true Christian. That love that is genuine is operating in our lives. We love because he first loved us. And I want to take this a step further because there's something in this call to genuine love both inside the church and outside the church that I want us to see. Jesus himself in John chapter 13, right after he had shown this kind of genuine love to his disciples, where he'd humbled himself, where he'd washed his disciples' feet, where he'd shown the full extent of his love, if you like, where he, the the king of glory, humbled himself. And he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's interesting language. He says, a new commandment, not just a suggestion, not just a, this is a good idea maybe for you to, Put in your toolkit. He says, no, a new commandment I give you, that you love. That word there is the same root word used here in the passage in Romans. You agape one another. Just as I have loved, the same root word again, loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I want to put to us this morning that this is the goal, that this is why we are called to be different, why following Jesus looks different, why why the marks of the true Christian that we carry is so important, why it's so important to have our lives underpinned by this genuine love. It's because it is by this that the world, that those around us, that people will know and recognize that we are his disciples, that we are his true followers, that by this they will recognize what we are all about. Historically, if we look in uh, scripture, Bible times, 
This relationship between a disciple and a rabbi was rather interesting. And a disciple, of course, would follow after their rabbi, follow their way of life, their manner of speech. And it came to be that for the disciple, their way of life, their manner of speech, what they taught, how they lived, all those things came to reflect their rabbi, their master, if you like. And it was because the disciples were so devoted to their rabbi, to learning to be like their rabbi, to do as the rabbi did, that there was then evidence in their lives of who their rabbi actually was. So what's important about that for, for us? When Jesus says, by this, all the world or people will know that you are my disciples. There's something in that for us. If it's by our love, it's not by our feelings, it's not by wishy-washy sentiments, it's by our love, this agape, this kind of self-giving, seeking the highest good of others kind of love, that all will know that we are his disciples. There is a call upon us as followers of Jesus that our lives would in fact point to Jesus, that the world would in fact see our rabbi, the Lord Jesus Christ, reflected in us and represented by us. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, that we're called to be salt and light. Salt and light, as in our lives of faith, looking like something. There being clear evidence, it being seen in our lives, something different. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The so that is important. The by this, all men will know, is so important for us to grasp. Because as we live out our lives of faith, as it has an effect on our behavior, the way we speak, the way we honor, all those things, our passion in serving the Lord, rejoicing with those who rejoice, being constant in prayer, it's not so that we can look good. It's not so that we can have a nice little holy club here on a Sunday. It's so that others would see, and as a result, see him. It's by this others would see and be pointed to Jesus. Let love be genuine because true followers of Jesus, as we live in this place, as this genuine love is operating in our lives, it produces something and points to someone, to Jesus. Finally this morning, so truly following Jesus looks like something, truly following Jesus produces something and points to someone, and truly following Jesus keeps us focused and reminds us of the mission. Let's look at this bookend statement here, verse 21. He starts with let a call to let love be genuine. He kind of unpacks what that looks like. There's a call for us to grasp it and see that it's this kind of genuine love. By this, others will see and know that we are his disciples and ultimately who Jesus is. But then he ends with a closing statement on evil and good. Now, everyone loves a story of good triumphing over evil, right? David and Goliath, maybe Samson over the Philistines, maybe Daryl Kerrigan and the big corporation who want to steal his castle. We love a story of good triumphing over evil. We live in an age where the, 
This kind of genuine love is not all that common. We live in an age where it seems like the darkness, the evil around us is increasing from all fronts. And it can become so easy to be focused, so focused on the darkness, to pour our energies into fighting the darkness, the evil that is so prevalent, resisting and all that we've seen in society over the last few years. Yes, absolutely, we're called to abhor evil, we're called to stand firm. But it can be so easy to forget the other half of this particular verse, to hold fast to what is good. As followers of Jesus, we must remember the answer to the darkness is not to get so focused on the darkness, but to turn the light on. But to turn the light on. Don't be overcome by evil. The word used here means to be overpowered or conquered by Defeated by. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't give yourselves over to evil. Don't be overwhelmed by evil. But overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And I believe that picture of genuine love operating in the lives of true followers of Jesus is something that is good that will see evil overcome. There's a quote that I love by John Wesley, incredible uh, man of God from the 1700s. He says this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Do all the good you can. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, with good. Again, let your light shine, that they would see your good deeds and see God through them. As we, in view of God's mercies, offer our lives to him as a right response of worship, and as we grasp hold of this call to live as true followers of Jesus, with all the marks, with all the evidence, our lives can be the good triumphing over evil. In fact, as we keep God's mercies in view, we can live in such a way that brings God's mercies into the view of others. That's why we're called to be true followers. Not just fleeting ones, not just jumping on the bandwagon ones. So back to the diehard sport team follower. Where it's clear what they're about. It's evident and seen. Everything about their lives points to something. They hold fast to the mission. I must confess, my own sports team following is rather half-hearted or lukewarm when it comes to a particular sport team. I kind of jump on the bandwagon around finals time of someone or a team that, you know, maybe I've liked or... But I'm rather half-hearted the rest of the time when it comes to football and things like that. As followers of Jesus, maybe Ali, do you mind coming up? As followers of Jesus, may we not be like that, half-hearted, just like, oh, I'll see what happens. But may it be clear and evident in our lives what it is we're all about, who it is we're following. May our lives point towards Jesus. May our lives be marked by this kind of genuine love, 
by this kind of abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. May our lives be marked with honoring those around us by enthusiasm and passion for the Lord. When others curse or persecute, may we respond with blessing. Pray for those who are coming against us. May our lives leave others in no doubt as to who we follow. And we can hear a message like this and sort of think, oh, that's, yep, that's fine. Yep, we've got to, our lives look like something. Point to someone. Genuine love, yep, great, that's good. It's a great principle. Yep, overcome evil with good. But let's kind of personalize a little bit. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Not just as the overarching, yep, it's a great passage. As a church, may the marks and evidence of true followers of Jesus be clear and outworked in our midst. I pray as a church that our love would be genuine, that we would abhor what is evil, we would hold fast to what is good, that we'd love one another with brotherly affection, that we'd outdo each other in showing honor, that we wouldn't be slothful. That word literally means lazy and different, that we'd actually have a passion and a fervency in serving the Lord. As a church, may we be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of those around us. May we seek to be a blessing, even in the face of persecution. May we not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May those things be clear and evident and outworked in our midst. Let's personalize it even further. Because this perhaps is where the rubber hits the road the most. In our own personal lives of faith. As those around us, as those even closest to us, witness our lives. Are they able to see and recognize and know as a true follower of Jesus? Are they able to see or perhaps like this $20 kids play money? From far, it kind of looks like, yeah, it sort of looks roughly like a $20 note. But up close, it looks nothing like it. Maybe it's like on a Sunday, we kind of put up the, the mask have it all together when we're around others but what are our lives truly like from Monday to Saturday are the marks of the true follower of Jesus evident is a love that is genuine operating in our lives Would those closest to us recognize and say that? Are we being overcome by evil? Or are we overcoming evil with good? Are we honoring those around us? Or are we doing the complete opposite?
You know there's no condemnation in any of that. But rather, there's an opportunity, an invitation this morning to come before the Lord. Where perhaps, as we've read through the passage, where Paul's laid out these marks of the true Christian, where you're like, ooh, <laughs> that hurts a little bit. Maybe I need to grow in that. Maybe that needs to change in my life. simple as coming before the Lord. Simple as a starting point to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your spirit to be at work in my heart and life. Lord, I want to live a life where it is clear and evident what I'm about. I want it to be seen, not that others would see Okay, oh, say how great, but rather they would see and see how great you are, Lord. I want my life to point people to something, to someone. And I'm going to just give opportunity for, for prayer along those lines this morning. In fact, maybe the prayer team could come forward, maybe we could stand together. We bring our service to a close. Maybe it's to repent. And of course, the altar is always open for us to do business with God. I recognize there are times when we read God's word that might not always feel comfortable might not always be the warm fuzzies but if we come with a genuine and humble heart allow the spirit of God to speak and to move and to change and transform us even what may initially hurt will bring us to a place of healing in him you know I really believe and I've touched it already this morning but Increasingly so in this day and age that we live in. It's, it's, it's vital, it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to be true followers of Jesus, for it to be clear and evident what we are for, what we're all about, for His love to be genuine and operating at work in our lives. And uh, I want to give opportunity this morning for, for, for people, for us to respond. For us to say, Lord, you know what? Yeah, I want the outworking of my faith, my life to be genuine. I want to reflect you in all that I say and all that I do. I want people when they see me to see you, Jesus. So Lord, in this place today, we thank you that we have been able to gather together. What a privilege that is, Lord. You invite us in, that you welcome us into your presence. Lord, I thank you for just the joy of being able to open up your word. And Lord, 
as we read your word, as we've read this passage this morning, yes, there are many challenging things about it. But I pray, by the power of your spirit, that you would help us, O Lord, to be followers of Jesus, who are true followers, who are genuine, the outworking of our faith. Lord God, this morning, where there may be things that don't quite match up, Lord, uh, would you search us and know us? I thank you for your mercy, God, that whenever you put your finger on something in our lives, it's never to embarrass us or shame us, but rather it's because of your goodness and your kindness that leads us to repentance and because of your desire, Lord, to, to, to bring it to the surface, to deal with it, for us to be able to walk in greater freedom and greater life. So where that's the case this morning, Lord, may we not resist that, I pray. God, I just pray that our lives would reflect you, would point to you, and that, God, you would help us to be a people who are not overcome with evil, but who overcome evil with good. We're so in need of you, Lord. Help us. And Lord, I just bless each and every person here this morning with your grace, with your goodness, favor this week, with an awareness of your presence. God, may there be opportunities for us to point people to you this week, I pray. It's in your name I ask all these things, Jesus. Amen.